So tonight I'd like to begin with just a short story. Um, at one point uh, when the, in, in the Dalai Lama's life, there was a hermit, a hermit that was uh, quite an older monk who would come to the Dalai Lama for teachings every so often. And one time he came for teachings and he requested these teachings and these practices from the Dalai Lama um, that were quite rigorous. And the Dalai Lama said to, to him, listen, these practices are really designed for someone really in their late teens. So I'd recommend that you not do these. And um, shortly thereafter, the, uh, this older monk committed suicide with the hope to be reborn um, in a younger body so he could do these practices. And it was interesting, there was a psychiatrist that was interviewing the Dalai Lama when he was sharing the story and uh, basically asked him, you know, you know how, how did you deal with this feeling of regret? You know, how did you get rid of it? And he said, get rid of it? I still have regret about it. <coughs> Which I think is really interesting to see that the kind of the, the manifestation of this practice doesn't mean that I no longer feel regret. And actually, uh, what I want to point out is that um, the feeling of regret, what I'd like to share with you tonight is, at least in early Buddhism, is seen as a wholesome quality of our heart, a wholesome quality of the mind. So how do we understand that? How do we understand regret being something that's really helpful for my life and for the spiritual practice, the spiritual practice. So it's said that uh, actually uh, moral regret, there are these, these two qualities that you find in early Buddhism. The Pali words are hiri and otapa. Uh, it's so difficult to translate these. So these are kind of my renditions of these because the, the translation of them is kind of tricky. Hiri being uh, moral regret and the uh, otapa being moral concern. And it's said that they're the, they are the two guardians of the world. And the, the language that's used, is the, the, uh, it's called sukadhamma, which is this bright or beautiful quality of the heart and mind. And that it's these two beautiful qualities of heart and mind that actually protect the world that we live in. When I can cultivate a sense of regret and, and concern. Which I think is interesting, because I think so often when we feel regret, I know when I feel regret, I can feel bad about it. But if we can really land it as a regret, um, to actually see that what a wonderful thing that I regret doing that. That that actually shows, that's an indication to myself that I have some kind of moral integrity. Not to feel regret about that unskillful thing I said to that person would be really bad. <laughs> There's something really wonderful about that. The tricky thing is, is that what's important about this conversation is to distinguish from regret. So I do something and I regret doing it. And that's radically different than shame or guilt. Shame is when I do something and then it, it, I create a, a, a sense of self around it. Usually there's something wrong with me. I'm a horrible person. 
Um, I am inherently flawed. Oh, here it goes again. Here's, here's an indication. <coughs> I did something wrong, and it, it's like this indication that, oh, I'm, I'm so right about my, my view of myself of being such a horrible person. And they feel really different. Like, what I've noticed about shame is that it's so paralyzing. And um, uh, it, it's, it's like this rabbit hole that I can get sucked into, and it can be so difficult to, to get out of. Whereas regret, regret is so important and can be so helpful because when I regret that I've done something, it allows this, to me it has a forward movement to it of like, oh, how could I have done that differently? Oh, what did I learn from this situation? How do I move forward with this? That's the power of regret because it moves my spiritual practice forward. Whereas shame is, is paralyzing or that, that sense of uh, guilt that comes with it, the, the sense of only being a failure in some kind of way that's, that is so constricting. And so hopefully I, I just want to point out these different flavors, shame, a sense of something's wrong with me, I create some kind of self around it. It has that rabbit hole effect. Regret, it, it has this sense of curiosity of learning around it. It still hurts. It's not a, a pleasant sensation. The, 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 the quality of heart that um, has regret in it, it's still maybe unpleasant, but has forward movement to it. I remember the first time I uh, heard teachings on uh, these two terms, Hiri and Atapa, was um, by this uh, Burmese uh, teacher, Saida Upandita. It was in, um, uh, in San Jose, California, the Tathagata Meditation Center. And I completely could not relate to this teaching because I think so much of my experience was that whenever I did something unskillful, it would immediately just go into shame. So the experience of regret was something that was really quite rare for me. And to begin to, I needed to notice that I actually needed to do some work in my practice. I needed to, to kind of expand some aspects of my practice to really open up this door of, of regret. Because my heart and mind would just go into shame and guilt. And the whole idea that there was a possibility that regret was different was something so foreign to me. And so I want to point out that uh, this is a, a real, this is an art. There's an art to cultivating regret rather than shame. And I'll go over some elements that are really helpful around this and to show that it, it, it can be such a, a wonderful thing in our lives. And just a little bit more about these two terms that they're really intertwined. And again, they're really difficult to, to um, bring an English uh, translation to. But here, he, uh, a lot of times the commentaries will talk, talk about this quality, you could say, of regret as being the relationship that I have with myself in the sense of, I feel regret because I, I value being in a sense of integrity. And it actually helps me feel good about myself because, because this is something I really value. Oh, wow, I have these values in my life and I want to uphold them in some kind of way. And so I feel regret. And so it, it has a, such a different flavor, again, of, of shame, but it's more inward focused in that sense. Whereas atapa, moral concern, is is the sense of the, the need to have moral integrity in my life because of my concern for others. You know, maybe it's a wanting to offer a space of safety for people 
or a safe a place of connection and kindness. Oh, there's this real, um, this desire for that. So there's these qualities of both inward and outward of, of how we hold uh, integrity in our lives. So how do we cultivate these qualities of Hirinatapa? How do we explore them skillfully and prevent ourselves from getting so lost in shame and, and guilt? I think some of it is this curiosity that I try to bring to my life is, when does it feel like I'm moving through my life where it feels like I'm, I'm um, acting from a place of integrity? Because right, that has a certain feeling even in my body and in my heart of how that feels when I'm in, maybe in a difficult situation with another person and I can walk away and be like, wow, that was difficult, but I felt like I did it with the most wholesome intention I could bring to it with a kind of integrity. Oh, and it feels a certain way in my body. A lot of times I feel more grounded at ease in my body. And it feels different. You know, have you ever said something that you really regret? <laughs> Man, it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if I have... So I'm so glad I can't remember all of them. There's probably so many of them, huh? <laughs> or when I didn't say something. So I want to point out, it's not only when I said something, sometimes I regret that I didn't say something in the situation. Oh, man. And it has a, um, a certain kind of feeling to it, that kind of sense of, oh, this wasn't, there wasn't as much integrity here in, in how I spoke or, or how I acted. And so I want to point out a lot of this exploration is this curiosity of how things feel. I'm tuning into my own discomfort and comfort, my own sense of integrity and lack of integrity. And in order for me to do that, I, I have to be in a space where I'm not beating myself up to see that this is just the way it is. You know, this is the way I learn is like sometimes I say some things that are really stupid and other times I get it a little bit more on track. And I have to have this openness, this curiosity to really open up the door for regret rather than shame. Because shame, right, it's just immediate. Like if I have any hint that I did something wrong in a, in a relationship or an interaction, immediately I'm just beating myself up. I'm not, I don't even have the, the capacity at that point to kind of become curious about it. At least that's my feeling of it. It feels like this whirlwind where I'm, I'm so lost in how horrible I am. And I think that's, that's the question I need to hold my th myself is kind of, what can I learn from this experience in order to do this differently next time? And how do you hold that question? I think one uh, way to do this is sometimes just <coughs> reflecting on a, an area or situation in your life where you know, you have a little bit more of that tendency to act unskillfully. What's it like to reflect on that area or those particular situations in a way that you can bring more curiosity to it? I find this really helpful in terms of um, opening up the, the realm of, of regret. When I was a, a Zen monk, I remember um, I started to see this pattern that in the mornings, a lot of times in the mornings we'd have like a monk's meeting, and in the mornings I was always in a really foul mood, <laughs> bad mood in the morning. And if I could remember just 
Brian, remember, you're not a morning person. <laughs> Batman, just if you can keep your mouth shut just at this time, and maybe you can come back to this, things will go much better. And it was so helpful if I could just remember that. Oh, here's an area in my life that things are difficult in the morning, especially when I'm not getting a lot of sleep. Not good. So it can be as, something as simple as that, just to be having this quality of curiosity around it. And I, I find uh, something that I've taken time to do, maybe many of you have done this as well, is the practice of making amends in the sense of it seems like there's, there's so much space when I've said something unskillful or when I forgot, forgot to say something to come back around with that person in some kind of way. And a lot of times it's not, it's not uh, for them. In some ways it's for me because it's part of my learning process. And it can be such an enriching thing to just kind of come back and be like, you know, oops, I meant this differently, or I really saw that I really stumbled there. And this is, you know, um, and I can see that there's probably some kind of impact on you around this or whatever needs to be said as a way of really refining that skill. And I remind myself that because sometimes the way I think about interactions, and some interactions are like this, I just want to point that out. But sometimes too often I can think when I have a bad interaction with someone, that's it. And that's the end of it. And it's always great to remember often, not always, I can come back with an email or a phone call or contact them in some kind of way. And I find that really helpful for this process. And also, I, I feel like when I'm clear about making amends or apologizing when I need to, not that I'm always clear, but I can really see that um, uh, to stand in my integrity in the sense of th that uh, what's important is that I voice that, not so much what their reaction is, can be really helpful. Oh, this is, this is just a part of my process of engaging in, in wholesome regret. And this is probably the hardest thing about this whole realm of moral regret and moral concern. And that's to notice when I do something somewhat skillful. So in the last week, did you ever have a moment where you're like, wow, I dealt with that pretty well. That was good. You do that a lot? Everybody should be saying, yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> of course I do that, you know. I'm... But we don't, do we? But you probably today or the last few days, you probably did something that was quite skillful or you were quite kind to someone. You said something that was really appropriate or you refrained from saying something. <laughs> but what's so important is to actually notice that, to actually savor that. Wow, that felt really good. So that's where the big challenge is. It's easy to see where we mess up. <laughs> That's usually not the problem. But can you really cultivate that quality of like, wow, I, I really did a good thing. I really navigated that pretty well. And again, not looking for perfection. It's a setup, isn't it? Just, just looking for a little bit better. Not perfect. And a few other things that
is so essential. And this is, I think, why we often do some form of this at the end of our silent sits together is a quality of kindness, especially to ourselves. Because what I started to notice, especially around shame, is that it was so habitual. It was just the habitual tape that would get played when I felt like I did something wrong. And I needed to cultivate this quality of kindness towards myself and also self-compassion. So the softening, so I'm really making these, you know, using, you know, those new neural networks of allowing for a different relationship with myself. So that it's possible for me to make a mistake and to still be okay with myself. Rather than, there's no room, there's absolutely no room in my life to make a mistake. Because that's tough, isn't it? To live in a world where you can't make a mistake. And that's the second thing. It's not only the, the kindness, but can you open up the space to make mistakes, to actually be wrong? <coughs> See, there's a great book entitled Being Wrong by Katherine Schultz. I want to share some of it with you just because I think it's so, so interesting about how we hold making mistakes or this, this sense of wrongness. And she begins with something off, uh, opposite. She says, why is it so fun to be right? I mean, as pleasures go, it is, after all, a second-order one at best. Unlike many of life's other delights, chocolate, surfing, kissing, it does not enjoy any mainline access to our biochemistry, to our appetites, or our adrenal glands, our limbic sense systems, our swoony hearts. And yet, the thrill of being right is undeniable, universal, and perhaps most oddly, entirely undiscriminating. We can't enjoy kissing just anyone, but we can relish being right about almost anything. <laughs> Isn't that true? Maybe a little bit, a little bit more here. It says, a whole lot of us go through life assuming that we are basically right, basically all the time, about basically everything, about our political and intellectual convictions, our religious and moral beliefs, our assessment of other people, our memories, our grasp of facts. As absurd as it sounds, when we stop to think about it, our steady state seems to be one of unconsciously assuming that we are very close to omniscient. <laughs> It's like that, isn't it? It's kind of wild, these minds of ours. And I think this is, this is the real key here. She says, of all things that we are wrong about, this idea of error may, might well top the list. It is our meta-mistake, M-E-T-A, our meta-mistake. We are wrong about what it means to be wrong. Far from being a sign of intellectual inferiority, the capacity to err is crucial to human cognition. Far from being a moral flaw, it is inextricable from some of our most humane and honorable qualities. Empathy, optimism, imagination, conviction, and courage. And far from being a mark of indifference or intolerance, 
wrongness is a vital part of how we learn and change. Thanks to error, we can revise our understanding of ourselves and amend our ideas about the world. Don't you think that's an interesting perspective on being wrong? And so important to really see that that's just, that's just the way my days are going to be. And to really open up to that. I remember um, my wife and I got this book and when she was reading the book, it was so great because she would, she would um, often during the day be so happy when she got something wrong. She'd be like, oh, isn't that funny? You know, I just got something wrong. Oh, that's so cool. There it is. And it was so delightful to be around because it was kind of contagious of like, oh, this is kind of neat, you know, to kind of like relax about this a little bit. Like, oh, there it is again. <laughs> Rather than this demand that I need to be right or we need to be right in some kind of way, it was so relieving just to know that the day's going to go like that. Most days, I'm going to get something wrong, at least in my life. <laughs> That's the way it is. And I think in some way, this is part of the freedom that comes also. Yes, there's a place for regret. And it's also coming to terms with living in such a world. Actually, the, the third Zen patriarch, um, the Zen master, uh, Seng San, puts it well in his uh, this faith in mind treatise, the Shinjin Mei. He says, to live in this realization, to live in the realization of this path is to be without anxiety about imperfection. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about imperfection. Wouldn't that be relieving? Huh. And yet at the same time, having a place for regret. Oh yeah, this, is, this, this heart and mind works in this imperfect way, and yet I still have this value of moral integrity. I still have this place for opening to how wonderful it is to regret things, because it allows me to continue to learn, allows me to continue to grow. So, just in terms of the sitting meditation tonight, what I invite you to cultivate around this, not that I am inviting you to bring up things that you should regret, <laughs> not so much, but the, I think the overlap that we have, at least with the sitting meditation, is uh, can you cultivate a quality of curiosity? Rather than having such a rigid view of if you're getting the meditation right or wrong tonight, just to notice what happens. Oh, isn't that interesting? The mind is just racing off like this. Oh, interesting. What is it like to see if I can relate to it differently? Maybe I can label what's going on. Oh, remembering, planning. Oh, it feels like this, and then my mind gets lost again. Oh, interesting. Frustration arises when I feel so sleepy and irritated. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, I should become curious about that experience. 
how it unfolds in some kind of way. So I still have this intention to bring the mind back, for example, to the breath, to notice what's going on. But not having this rigid view of, of if I get this wrong, there's something wrong with me, or I can't do this, or I'm a horrible meditator, or why did I think that I should come here on a Monday night and just have a miserable time sitting in silence? That's the rabbit hole. Okay, so let's, uh, let's give it a try. So let's, uh, I invite you to stand up and stretch or move, move around if you need to.